Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Chapter 30. Last week we, I actually don't know if it was last week, some time ago we started this chapter in the book of Proverbs. We went through the first six verses and this is not like everything that led up to Proverbs 30, if you remember. Proverbs chapter 1 through verse 29 is from Solomon. Solomon's writing to his son, Rehoboam, and we walked through all of that. It took us months to walk through Proverbs 1 through 29, and now we get to Proverbs 30, and it's a different author. His name is Agur, and Agur doesn't We don't know anything about him. He doesn't reveal much about him other than what's in this one chapter. He's a humble man. We know that. We know from verse 1 that he admits that he's tired. He's a worn out individual. Verses 2 and 3, he admits he has much to learn. And so I think we can relate to him. Somebody that's tired, exhausted from all that life brings to us. Admitting he has much to grow still. So I think we could relate to him and we can certainly aspire to his humility and honesty as he does some self-reflection. Today we're going to continue in this poem written by Agur in Proverbs 30. We're just going to walk through verses 7 through 17 and try to make sense of some kind of linear thought process that Agur has as he writes this poem. Let's read all of it in its entirety, and and then we'll walk back through it here this evening. This is what the Word of God says, Proverbs 30, starting in verse 7. Two things I ask of you. This is a prayer, by the way. He's starting with a prayer. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do not slander a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be held guilty. There are those who curse their father and do not bless their mother. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to stop there, and we'll make it through the rest of the chapter the next time we're in Proverbs. Today, I I really just want to walk through this, and what you'll find is it has a lot to do 
with humility and in humility, contentment, and also much to say about arrogance. I think these are the two balancing concepts or opposing concepts rather in this chapter, at least this portion of the chapter. Arrogance and humility. Demanding more and contentment. Of course, we should aspire and see that God is drawing us to contentment and humility. So this is where we're going tonight. Let's begin walking through it. Firstly, we see two prayers that he pleads, really, for holiness. Agur wants to be holy, and this is his prayer. He prays two things. He says, don't deny them from me, God. Firstly, remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's his first prayer. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. I love that he doesn't just want it to be set aside. Like, rem- remove it from my sight. He says, remove it far from me. Get, get lying and falsehoods away from me. He wants it far from him so that he won't be tempted to run to it again or that it won't even be close to being a snare in his life. He says, remove far from me falsehood. And, like, and, and I'm guessing the context here is, if you remember earlier in the chapter, Agur says that he is not uh, well understood in things. He's not a very smart individual. And so here he's praying, God, Keep falsehoods and lies far away from me. I'll fall into them. I'm not wise enough to catch on and to see through it. And so, knowing himself, he says, God, please move the lies of today, the falsehoods of today, far from me, that I would not be tripped up by them. Second thing that he prays is the second part of verse 8 into verse 9. We keep reading. He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, profane the name of, the, of God. That's an interesting prayer. I don't know if you've ever prayed this prayer before. Give me neither poverty, that one we've probably prayed nor riches. For both would lead me to sin, he says. Feed me with food that is needful for me. Just all I want. My daily bread. If I become too full, I'll think I don't need you. If I become too hungry, I'll be drawn to steal. And thus sin against the name of God. So give me just what I need so that I don't think I don't need you and that I don't sin against you. You see this? It's a prayer for holiness. God, I care about being holy. Notice these two prayers. Firstly, I don't want to be around lies because I'll fall into them. And I don't want riches nor poverty because they'll lead me to sin. Both of these show how humble this man is. Again, verses 1 through 6, he's admitting that he doesn't know very much. He admits that he's tired and weary. Here, he admits that he's prone to believe lies. He's given to being gullible to them. 
and he's given to sin, particularly with money. And he doesn't trust himself with it. Quite a humble man. And he knows when not to trust himself. I think about for myself, maybe I've told you before, I, uh, whenever I want to just kick back and waste a little bit of time, I get on YouTube. <sighs> what a dangerous pit YouTube is. I don't know if you watch it much, but uh, I have a timer on my phone where I get locked out after 30 minutes because after 30 minutes, it's just, it's a rabbit hole that is not helpful for productivity whatsoever. I begin watching videos on how to build epoxy tables, though I have no plans of doing something like that. And I find myself eventually watching documentaries on the, the fall of the Ethiopian Empire. I have no idea why. And I just start watching all of these things, and it's unhelpful for me. And, and so I know that about myself, and so I have it locked on my phone, and it requires a passcode from Sarah to watch any more than 30 minutes. True story. Agur knows his nature, what he's prone to, and he's honest about it and wants to be nowhere near those things that will tempt him to sin. There's a lesson in this, isn't there? We ought to know ourselves and seek to remove those things which bring greatest temptation to us. That's a sign of a, a Christian a godly Christian, to know what I'm prone to, to know what allures me to or that, and then to remove that far from my side. <clears throat> if your temptation is to gossip, find a new place to have coffee. If your temptation is to look at inappropriate things on your phone, buy a flip phone. Put the computer in the living area. All right? If your temptation is to get drunk at the pub, find a new route driving home each day. This is the wisdom of Agur. Remove the temptation because holiness is more important than the route you take home or the convenience of having your computer in your room or hanging out with your buddies at the coffee shop. Holiness is more important. But specifically, just looking at the second prayer, this give me neither poverty nor riches. It's interesting that he would pray this. He, he prays firstly not to have poverty. It's not because he wants a big house and he loves to have luxury, the newest car. It's because he doesn't want to sin. You see, poverty will pigeonhole an individual into desperate measures often leads to sin. Starving leads to stealing. Being caught leads to lying. He doesn't want to be impoverished. Not because he loves riches. Because he loves holiness. But he also prays not to have riches. He prays for a modest life. He'd rather have a modest life and holy life than a wealthy life which comes with a higher chance of sin. Sounds good to me. He'd rather be without things of this world, yet be with holiness, than to be with things of the world and forfeit holiness. 
thing I love about Agur is that he fears his sinfulness more than he fears not having everything he wants. There's great respect in that. And yes, I know it's so easy for American Christians who love our possessions and our things. We'll say, yeah, but money's not, the, not, money's not a sin. Having money is not sinful. It's like our first defense to make ourselves feel okay about having the money we have, right? Yes, money is not a sin. Having money is not a sin. But don't be naive to think that it doesn't come with more dangers. It does. Having money is not a sin. It's just a gateway to much of it. And so Agur knows that, and he says, I want nothing to do with that. Keep me far from riches. I don't trust myself. I want to keep loving you, Jesus. That should be our prayer. So I guess the question you and I, before we move on from this two-part prayer, is would you pray that God would remove all your money, take away worldly comfort, if it meant that you'd be more committed to him. Really exposes what is your God. If you knew it meant you would love him better, serve him more faithfully, would you pray all of this would be taken from you? Zagger's prayer. It's a humble prayer. It's a content prayer. And then Agur speaks on the dangers of arrogance, not humility. That's what he just displayed. He warns us about arrogance. Verses 10 through 14. Do not slander a servant to his master lest he curse you and you be held guilty. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed in their filth. There are those who, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. Notice again the, the flow of thought from where we just came to where we are now. The prayer that we just read, verses 7 through 9. Agur displays humility. He admits that he's easily given into sin, doesn't want to reject God, says, God, I'm, I'm a man prone to sin, keep me from it. He displays humility. Here, he warns against arrogance. The deadly alternative to humility. So I think... <laughs> We're meant to follow Agur's example of humility and heed his warning against arrogance. I want to be like Agur in his humility, in his honest self-reflection. I want to be like Agur in that. I hope you do. And, and I really want to take his words seriously about arrogance, that I wouldn't be like that. He gives four clear examples of arrogance. 
I think for us as readers to see them and think, is that me? Is there a little part of that that I can see in me? Verse 11, he shows that arrogance is shown in how someone treats their superiors. How you treat your superiors shows if you're an arrogant individual. He says, there are those who curse their fathers, do not bless their mothers. Of course, this is true with parental authorities, but this is also true with authorities of any kind. Occupational, political. Arrogance is shown in how you treat your authorities or superiors. But in this particular example in verse 11, notice that arrogance starts as young as childhood. It's a child and how they respond to their parents. We are born in sin. We are born in sin. We don't have to learn sin. We've got that one figured out. This is why humbling discipleship, or discipline, rather, also discipleship, but humbling discipline is vital in the parent's role in the child's life. That's all over Proverbs. All over Proverbs, it talks about how you are to humble your children by disciplining them and showing them there is authority that is to be respected. Arrogance can be shown in how someone treats their superior. Secondly, arrogance can be shown in how someone views themselves. Verse 12. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. So it's not only how you see the people above you, but it's actually also how you see yourself that might display your arrogance. I, uh, when I lived in Springfield, I had a car, Jetta, and really liked that car, and uh, no one else liked it. Everyone else thought that was just a horrible decision, which looking back now, I agree, it was a horrible decision to buy it. But at the time, I was like, I love this car. This is awesome. Uh, It just, it rumbled when you turned it on. It was loud. And, um, but when you got in it, it smelt like wax crayons. I don't know why. I have no idea why. Everyone's like, do you have melted crayons in here? I'm like, no, I don't know what's up with that. I'm not sure. But the, the tint job was horrible. There was bubbles all over. Um, it, it, yeah, it smelled like wax crayons. It, it, it broke down within like three months of me having it. But I loved that thing. I just couldn't see what everyone else was saying about it. And I think that's how we can get when we look at our own flaws and ourselves. People see it. They're like, you smell like wax crayons. And you're like, I don't, I don't smell it. I don't smell <laughs> But it's true. Th- wasn't this the Pharisees? They saw no flaw in themselves whitewashed tombs can easily be us, can't it? It really can. It's so easy for a pastor, just divulging and and being honest with myself, it's it's easy to to be a pastor that's arrogant, spiritually prideful, holier than thou. But can't it be as well the evening crowd? We're the faithful who come twice. Be careful, may we not be the Pharisees. 
who are clean in our own eyes, but filthy, we just can't see it. This might display arrogance. It's easy for all of us. It's easy for Isaac. Arrogance can be shown in how we treat our superiors and how we view ourselves. Arrogance can be shown in how someone acts towards the world around them. Verse 13, there are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. You you can see the, the imagery that he's describing here. A person keeps their nose up like that. We know. We would, we would call that snooty, right? Stick their nose up to everybody. Look down on everybody. That's what he's talking about. How lofty are their eyes? Their eyes are lifted up. How high their eyelids are. They're, they think they're better. And yet, isn't our Savior the opposite? He stooped down. He didn't look. He looked down to his creation. That needed him. Came down and he stayed with the lowly, the lowest of the low, me and you, for our salvation. Nevertheless, though we know that's the example set by our Savior, it can be so easy for us. Once he exalts us, to forget our previous state. And look down on other people. Shows arrogance. And how you see the world around you. Arrogance, fourthly, can also be shown in how someone acts towards those who are socially lower than them. Verse 14. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth. The needy from among mankind. In high school, I, uh, I wasn't the most athletic. I like to think that I was fairly athletic, though. Dodgeball, any kind of game like that in, in gym class. What do you do first? You pick off the ones that are easy to pick off. All right, I mean, come on, we're being honest here. That's what you do. And, and that's what he's talking about. To look at those that are already down and you kick them when they're down. That's the saying, isn't it? And that's what he's talking about. To see somebody in their lowly state take advantage of their lowly state rather than help them out of it. I think the lesson here we can learn is that we must always have pity on those whose position we would be in without a gracious Savior. That could easily be me. That should be me. I deserve that or worse. Let us see the struggling addict. The homeless man with the cardboard sign. The absent father. The rebellious child. And before we label them with anything, we label them me without Christ. That's me without Christ. That's me without God's grace in my life. Otherwise, any kind of lofty labeling of them would display arrogance. 
class and not be arrogant people. What we are, if it's anything, is a product of God's grace in our lives. So he displays humility. God, I'm prone to sin. Help me to not get, be given into those sins. He displays humility, and then he warns us against arrogance and all kinds of different ways that arrogance can be shown. And we know what arrogance leads to. If you're arrogant, self-focused arrogance spills over into entitlement, doesn't it? When you think high of yourself and lowly of other people, you will quickly assume entitlement and expect special treatment from everybody around you. Isn't that what he leads into in verse 15? The leech has two daughters. Give and give. It's demanding. It's entitlement. It's, I expect you to do for me. You keep doing that. I think this is the natural product of the arrogance that we might have. We all know this kind of person, right? The leech that produces two daughters, give and give. They expect others to cater to their every need. We might say they think the world revolves around them. They don't give back or contribute. They just hope to drain from others without laboring themselves. We won't go to Second Thessalonians 3. We already did a couple weeks ago, right on Sunday morning, where the man that doesn't work, let him not eat that passage. But this is the natural outflowing of arrogance and thinking too highly of oneself. It's worth noting just a side note, that we are to act differently with God than we do with people. Okay, the, the, everything we're talking about here so far is how we interact with people, but how we interact with God is much different, isn't it? With God, we are unashamedly dependent, fully dependent. We unashamedly cast all of our needs on Him daily and expect Him to carry us through this life and to bring us into glory on His strength, not my own. Right? On, 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 on Christ. It is not a mutual effort for my salvation. I trust Him to be my sole and full provider. I depend on Christ every day. Every breath I take is a gift from God, not an act of Isaac. And so with God, we are fully dependent and unashamedly so. But with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we walk this tightrope trying to balance needing one another but not being a burden to one another. Because there, isn't there, as we walk this line, there is a ditch on both sides. The ditch to one side would be arrogantly not asking for help. That could show arrogance too, can't it? I don't need help. I'm fine. Yep, everything's good. Seriously, it's, it, we're good. We'll make it by. Thank you very much for asking. When really, you're just really hurting inside. That's arrogance. Galatians 6.1 says that let them bear your burden with you. 
So on one side, as we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be arrogant in not accepting help. But on the other side, we can fall off the ditch on the other side of the road and be arrogant in expecting them to do everything for us. Somehow we are to balance this in accepting and even requesting help, and yet working alongside them and not expecting entitlement. It's a hard balance. Agur continues to talk about arrogant entitlement. Verse 16, we just keep going. He just said the leech has two daughters, give and give. Same thought process. He says there are three things that are never satisfied. Four things never say enough. (laughs) Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and a fire that never says enough. So firstly, let's just figure out why is he saying three and then four? Three things this, four things that. Well, he actually does it multiple other times in this proverb, uh, in this chapter. We see in verse 18, let me turn there. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four things I do not understand. He's saying the same thing, but he's saying three, four. We also see it again in verse 21. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it can not bear up. Same thing, just three and four. Again in verse 29, three things are stately in their tread. Four are stately in their stride. And so when we go back to verse 16, what, what is he talking about? Why does he say three and four? Well, I think really this just shows that the list isn't exact or exhaustive. That's what he's trying to say here. There, there's a lot of things. There are plenty of other examples. Three, four, I guess another way of saying it that you and I might say is, there's half a dozen or more ways that that could have been done, right? There's three ways, four ways. His point is, it's not an exhaustive list. There's plenty of ways. But what's his point in verse 16? Plenty of things that's, that are never satisfied would never say the words enough. Firstly, he describes Sheol, the place for the dead, which is always open for more to die and descend into. The bottomless pit. The barren womb doesn't ever eventually resolve, okay, you've had a, you've felt enough sorrow. You've felt bad long enough. I'll open up for you now. The land is constantly needing more water for plants. Never full for good. That was plenty of water. I think we're good moving forward. No need for any more water ever. No, it's constantly needing more water. The fire which runs out of kindling, which never runs out of kindling, will say, I think we're good. Never need any more. No, it's constantly consuming. That's the point. It never says that's enough. And I think all of these are analogies for the arrogant, the leech which keeps saying, keep giving to me. 
I deserve more. Keep coming. Keep going. Never satisfied. And we see the, the fate of the arrogant in verse 17, the last verse. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother. That's alluding, by the way, back to verse 11. Arrogant example. It says, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Basically, there is judgment for someone who hangs as a millstone around the neck of another person. There's judgment for the person who hangs as a millstone around the neck of another person. Arrogantly expecting that they would keep doing everything for you, being a leech until they're sapped dry. There's judgment for that leech. So really this text, as we just look at verses 7 through 17, I think steers us away from arrogance. I don't want to be that person. A burden to other people, prideful myself. It's to steer us away from arrogance and towards humility. I wrote down three personal reflections of this passage when I was sitting here at the pew. Just read them to you and I'll be done. Firstly, based on this reading, I want to pray humbly. Asking God to keep me from sin. As I know I'm prone to give myself to it. I want to humbly pray prayers saying, God, Keep me from the sin that I'm prone to. I know I'm a sheep that is so quick to be straying from you. Help me, God. The first thing. Second thing, that I don't want to see myself as any greater or loftier than anyone else. As if I'm less in need of a Savior. I don't want to stick my nose up to other people. I'm just as lowly, and without grace, I am nothing. Thirdly, I don't want to see myself as more important than other people, expecting them to drop everything else for me. I want others to bear my burdens as I bear theirs, but I never want to sit down the shovel as other people are digging. I want to rally together with people, working alongside them for their burden and for mine as we display Christ's love in his church. Amen. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.